This morning, <clears throat> this morning's reading is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, uh, so grateful um, to be a sheep of your eternal pasture. Thank you, Lord, that you are such a good, good shepherd. Thank you for the constant reminder in this uh, short 23rd Psalm. God, thank you for the reality that you are with us. You came to be among us. You lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. You died the death that we deserve to die, and you rose again, victorious from the grave. We thank you, God, that, um, that through your Spirit you are with us continually. And I thank you that you lead us, that you lead us in right paths. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, when we follow imperfectly, um, you restore us. And uh, God, so I just pray this morning, Lord, I'm just, uh, I'm a beggar in need of your grace. Just pray that you would um, enliven um, our hearts with your word, that we would be reminded of what a good shepherd you are, and God, that we would just respond to that um, by hearing you and following you. We love you. We thank you that you loved us first. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Good to see you all. Um, I'm going to show just a quick video clip, and as you're looking at this, I want you to um, just ask the question. I'm not showing the one that you sent me, Hope. Unfortunately, I couldn't figure it out. It was really good, though. Um, I want you to ask the question, um, is, is, uh, can I relate with this sheep in any way? Uh, it's on your butt. Sheep. People familiar with sheep know that a sheep can be cast. It's terminology for a sheep that is turned over on its back and it can't get up. There's nothing that that sheep could do to right himself. The the shepherd needs to keep a close eye on the sheep, for if they lie cast in that position, in a matter of hours, they can die. 
As I was uh, just thinking about verse 3 that says that he restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness or right paths for his namesake. Say, um, I had to ask a question, how am I stuck? Like I'm, I'm, I'm stuck actually in, um, depending on the day you catch me, depending on the week, the month, the year, um, I'm stuck in several different places. One of the places I get stuck is in wrong thinking, in uh, letting my head just spin with wrong thoughts. Not thinking upon what's true and right and lovely and pure, but thinking about what I don't know to be true. And then my mind wanders, and next thing I know, I'm just, I'm cast, just letting my mind um, wander and spin around in um, non-truths. Another way that I get caught is, um, and this is, uh, I think, God's Spirit working in me, but I get stuck there at times, and that's just um, stuck and caught in just the brokenness of this world. And you don't have to go too far, actually, um, from this church just to experience the brokenness of this world. Just in this last week, um, a young man had his colon removed because of colon cancer. My daughter-in-law um, had a miscarriage. Um, Eric Coet's father died. That's just, that's just a snapshot of a few days in the life of this church. And I get stuck at times just wondering, God, what are you up to? I get tired of seeing people suffer. I get stuck there. And today's passage really is a, it's, it's to help remind us that God will lead us to paths of righteousness or lead us in paths of righteousness or right ways. He, he is there to restore us and help us get unstuck, whether that, that being stuck is sin or wrong thinking or if we're just stuck in um, the, the pain of the world, just running through our head. At times I'm stuck like a skipping record replaying the same verse over and over again. And that same verse can be, God is not good or you are a loser, or whatever that is, rather than, than, than getting stuck on, Chris talked about it last week, of hearing God's voice, of hearing who, what God thinks of us, who we are in Christ. Let me ask you this morning, where are you stuck? Um, what truths are you not believing about who God is? as we look at his characteristics being the good shepherd. Where are you stuck? I want to remind you of a couple things. That Psalm 23, as all the Psalms, they're for, it's for Christians. That Psalm 23 is written for Christians, the human sheep of God's eternal pasture. And many have, um, have actually uh, garnered false hope and false comfort from Psalm 23 when they're not in Christ. The blessings of the Lord's presence that is talked about here in Psalm 23, the blessings of the Lord's provision, the blessing of the Lord's protection come only to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. But I will say that, that he is constantly bringing people into his pasture. That nobody's excluded from the pasture if they put their faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. 
But these truths, these comforting truths of confidence in the risen Lord Jesus Christ can only ultimately bring comfort to those who have been born again. If you do not belong to Jesus, God is not your shepherd. If you know Jesus, Psalm 23 is for you. The Lord is your shepherd. You will hear his voice and you will follow him imperfectly if you're like me. That this side of salvation is not so much about perfection as it is direction. Psalm 23 is a psalm of confidence in the Lord's presence, His provision, and His protection. The psalm's author, David, was a shepherd of sheep as a young man, and he was a shepherd of God's people as an adult. It's helpful to remember that David wrote this psalm of confidence at the end of his life. He didn't write it at the beginning of his life, not having um, faced any of this brokenness and pain of the world. He didn't write it at the beginning of his life without making a mess of things. He wrote it at the end of his life when he had experienced the brokenness, the betrayal, and the sin of other people. He wrote it at the end of his life after committing um, the, um, every, uh, breaking every one of the Ten Commandments. He said this in Psalm 22, verse 1 through 2. He wrote this after, at the end of his life, after experiencing a lifetime of pain, loss, betrayal, and brokenness. He says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. Is anybody in that place this morning? And he wrote these words in Psalm 51 after committing grievous sins against the Lord and against the people he was called the shepherd. He said this in Psalm 51, 1 through 4, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. Only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. In this wonderful poem, the shepherd David compares himself to weak, defenseless, and foolish sheep. And he takes the Lord God to be his provider, his protector, his director, his forgiver, his all in all. His confidence and trust in the Lord is based on the experiences from the past, not theory. He experienced the Lord as his good shepherd through many ups and downs. A shepherd, over the last couple of weeks, we talked about what a shepherd is. A shepherd has a number of attributes a good shepherd does. One is a good shepherd is always with his sheep. He's present. He never leaves his sheep. Additionally, he leads his sheep. He's out in front of his sheep providing and protecting, providing for them and protecting them. Being a shepherd is a 24-hour job. It's not for the lighthearted. Summer and winter, rain and shine, they live among the dirty, smelly sheep in the heat of day, in the cold of night. The job of shepherd would not have made the top 100 best paying jobs in the Palestinian journal. It is a dirty, thankless job. No one in his right mind would want to be a shepherd. And in spite of the dirty sheep, a good shepherd is gentle with his sheep. He does not drive them from behind. He goes before them and he leads them. A good shepherd defends from all danger. He risks his own life to protect them. A good shepherd is aware of all of the flock's needs. 
He, was a, he is their constant companion and would need to know them individually and intimately to properly care for them. The sheep that flourished trusted their shepherd. They followed his leading and they listened to his voice. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Sheep are notorious creatures of habit. If left to themselves, they will follow the same paths until they become ruts. They'll graze the same hills until they become wastelands. They'll pollute their own ground until it is corrupt with disease and parasites. A commonly held but serious misconception is that sheep can get along anywhere. The truth is quite the opposite. No class of livestock requires more careful handling no, no, in more detailed direction than do sheep. The experienced shepherd knows the patterns and the habits and the tendencies of his sheep. And more importantly, he knows his own sheep by name and is aware of our own unique patterns and struggles. He knows it about you. He knows your own unique patterns, your own unique struggles. He knows the soft spots that the enemy can poke into. He shepherds for the welfare of the sheep and for his own reputation, for his own namesake. Is that music? Or is that thunder? Is that the Lord coming back? I don't know. Wow. Can anybody hear what they're singing? We can just sing along. That's not singing. That's marching. They're surrounding the building, I think. Do I hear trumpets? Sheep, just like sheep, are you and I. We will blindly, yes, we will blindly, stupidly, habitually follow one another along the same little trails until they become ruts and they erode into giant gullies. So as humans, we can conform to the world we live in by following pop culture rather than the good shepherd. And that never ends up in a good spot. The prophet Isaiah described the hopeless direction of all mankind without a shepherd. He said this in Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, laid on him the iniquity of us all. Turning to my own way means simply to do what I want. All of humanity had gone astray as a result of our sin nature that infected every person who has ever lived except for Jesus Christ. Isaiah prophesied correctly, saying that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all. All who believe have been brought into a right relationship with the God who was, the God who is, the God who will forever be. Jesus came so we would have new life. He restored us. He restored our soul. You guys, well, what does that mean? Isn't the soul the thing that's like detached from us? I think, um, has anybody heard of the Bible Project? It's a cool website. And if you ever want to just get some um, cool, creative summaries of books of the Bible, it's on the Bible Project. They do it really creatively. And also they, um, they take a look at certain words. And one of the videos I watched there, and then I did some other research alongside that, is one on the soul. What does it actually, what does the word soul actually mean? And this, the word soul, our English word soul, is, comes from the Hebrew word for soul, which is nephesh. 
And what I've learned is that people don't have a nephesh. We are a nephesh. The soul refers to the whole human as a living organism. At the moment of salvation, he restored our soul, our nephesh. We were born again. And it's more than that. The, the soul is not merely our life, but it's the seat of all of our appetites, of all of our longings, of all of our desires. In restoring our soul, God makes us want what he wants. It's not that he just saves us um, to be with us and to watch us live a life however we want to live and then be with him in heaven someday. That he's actually given us new desires and a new direction in our life. And it's actually one of the evidence that you're a new creation is that you want to follow him. That you want to follow him. That evidence doesn't mean that you perfectly follow him. We're never going to be able to do that but that you have a desire to follow him. That you have a new direction. In restoring our souls, he makes us want what he wants for us. He causes us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. He renews in us the joy of our salvation. He gives us joy in the morning after a night of weeping. In Deuteronomy 6, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. The fact that he restores your soul is that if you are a Christian, it doesn't mean he's saving you again. It means that he's given you a new desire to follow after him again. That when you're on your back and you're stuck in sin, you can't get up, he gives you a boost and says, come on. Come on, follow me. Romans 12.1, Paul says, he says, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. That's what David is talking about here. David is saying that when, when he restores our soul, he's given us a new desire. He's helping us get up and to follow him afresh. But I got to tell you, if you're anything like me, this side of salvation, new creation, new desires, a new daddy, a good shepherd, I blow it. I blow it. I have a new life, new direction, and I'm prone to go astray. I'm prone to wander. I'm tempted to conform to the world. I'm chasing other things for ultimate happiness and satisfaction. We all do it. In John 10, the great New Testament chapter on the good shepherd, Jesus says this, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And that abundant life is found in following the good shepherd. The abundant life isn't found in following our own ways and conforming to the world. The abundant life is found in, in following Jesus and being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We'll talk about that in a minute. You see, we can easily be deceived into thinking that the abundant life is found in doing whatever we please, however we please, with whomever we please, whenever we please. But in actuality, it's found in following the good shepherd. 
trusting that his paths are righteous or right. And it's not just enough to know the good shepherd. It's not just enough to even know that the good shepherd wants to lead you. The abundant life is found in following the good shepherd. And following him becomes easier when we trust him. So the question isn't, will he lead me? The better question is, is are we listening and willing to follow? You see, the duty of the sheep, one duty of the sheep, and that's to follow the shepherd. That's the duty of the sheep. John 10, 27 says, the sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You might say, I want to follow. I want to follow, but I don't know what he's saying to me. I don't know where he's leading me, but I want to follow. Here's the first step. The first step is actually saying that, that I want to follow, like I want to. Can you say that? Can you say that, you know what, Uh, yeah, I've got fears, I've got doubts, but at the end of the day, I believe he's a good shepherd, and I want to follow him. You see, that's the first step, having a will or a desire to hear and follow him. In Mark 8.34, we see that picking up our cross daily is actually dying to our own will and desiring his. Mark 8.34 says this, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I would remember it this way. Where there's a will, there's a way. Where there's a will, there's a way. And what I mean by that, it's a little bit... What I mean by that is that it's not about self-will. It's about where it starts with is that God's not going to do a hostile takeover on your obedience. He might discipline you in disobedience lovingly, but where, where there's a will, there's a way. It starts with your will, your desire to follow him. Next, after we desire it, it's to know his will. That's the million-dollar question. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, we can be conformed to the world. And when, you remember what Chris talked about last week about that mind amp? When we don't hear the Lord's voice, you can bet that you are, you are conforming to the world. All you are listening to is the wisdom of the world. We become conformed to the world when we follow the ways of the world, keeping our eyes fixed on the lust, the lies, and false promises of this world, rather than keeping our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Ultimately, I know this is true in my life, when I, when I, when I uh, post process, like how did I get on my back? When, when I post process, ultimately what the, the way I got there is I was following and pursuing what I ultimately trusted to fulfill me, console me, protect me, rule me, satisfy, and make me happy. Whenever I find myself on my back. There's two types of will that we need to know about. There's God's directive will and there's God's sovereign will. We can always know God's directive will. God's directive will is right here. And this is where it starts. He, he tells us, uh, this is the rule book. 
that tells us who he is, who we are in Christ, and it tells us um, how to respond to that. This is his directive will. And we can only truly know God's good, acceptable, and perfect will from his word, actually. Then there's, then there's his sovereign will. Who should I marry? When or who should we adopt? Should I change jobs? Should we move houses? Should we vaccinate or not vaccinate? Should we homeschool, public school, Christian school? There's, it goes on and on and on, does it not? This is God's sovereign will. And his sovereign will is more about a process than it is about a clear answer. God's sovereign will, the way, to, the way to determine God's sovereign will is first of all to make sure that you are um, understanding his directive will. And then when you've got freedom, if he's asking you to, um, to maybe, you're wondering, should I go to another job or should I move to another city? The way that we understand that, the way that we understand his, his sovereign will is, um, is God, um, what are you doing? Ask the question, what are you doing and how do you want me to respond? And here's, here's what's worked for me over the years. Here's what hasn't worked. Um, I think God's leading me um, over there. So I'll go over there to that door, and, and instead of like pressing on it gently to see if it opens, I'll kick it down. Boom! And I'll go, wow, there's green pastures there. And I'll step into the green pastures, and guess what? Quicksand. So the way that we know God's sovereign will is actually we move. We take steps forward. If you just lay there on your back going, God, what do you want me to do? He's not going to speak to you. That, that the, the sheep are led to, uh, are protected and are led by moving. By moving from one place, from, from, from one pasture to the, to the other. From the pasture to the still waters. You see, when we're clear about the priorities that are informed by God's directive will, it's easier to make decisions that are in the camp of his sovereign will. And I know that I'm not a good shepherd a lot, and I'm so thankful for the good shepherd. Because at times I get so impatient with, with, um, when, when people just are stuck, but they don't want to do anything about it. That wasn't in my notes. If my wife was here, she'd probably say, you shouldn't have said that. But it's honest. I'm, just, I'm, a, I'm an imperfect guy. And I'm, I'm trying to love people perfectly by letting the good shepherd love people through me. Because I'm not capable of that otherwise. So here we are. We need to will. We need to desire to do it. We need to know his will. And finally, we need to do his will. Psalm 143, 10 says this, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. The psalmist doesn't say, teach me to know your will. Notice that? He says, teach me to do your will. Because i got to tell you, until um, we are submitted to the Lord and his word, um, let's, let's just start right there. Um, Have him teach you to do his will by the power of the Holy Spirit for his glory and praise, for our good. You see, there's a chasm in our culture between knowing and doing. There's a chasm between understanding and practice. There's a chasm between hearing God and actually following God. 
We spend an inordinate amount of time asking God what his will is for our life while ignoring what we know his will is for our life right here. And if I can like summarize his will for our life, it's at the end of verse 3. For his namesake. For his namesake. 1 Corinthians 10, 11, everything we do. Everything we do, do it for the what? The glory of God. My son has that tattooed across his chest. I said, I can't believe you got a tattoo. Let me read it. Oh, that's awesome. Can I get one? 1 Corinthians 10, 11. So if I'm trying to understand God's sovereign will and I'm stuck, keep moving, keep asking God to rescue you, to show you what's clear or what's show you, make it make things clearer for you. Press, press on the door, press on it, don't kick it down. Seek counsel, there's wisdom in many counselors. And then make sure that whatever you're doing, that you're not trying to build your kingdom or your name, but you're doing it for his namesake. What's our motivation for um, wanting to know where he wants us and what he wants us to do, how to respond? It's to please him, to increase his reputation. I got a newsflash for you. Here's a newsflash. As you are following him in his right paths, you're going to take the wrong turn every once in a while. You're going to stumble. You're going to stub your toe. You're going to end up cast. That's, that's, the, that's the reality of this life. You're going to follow imperfectly. You can have moments, days, weeks, maybe seasons where you doubt the good shepherd. Maybe you're in a season of rebellion right now where you've been conforming to the world rather than being transformed. David was a man who tasted defeat and hopelessness in his life. When life hit when, when life hit him hard and he couldn't get up and he'd wandered too far off in the world, the Lord rescued him. And there's times when we wander off where the Lord, when we're cast because of our own sin, the Lord will gently help us up. But he also might break a leg just to slow us down a little bit. That whenever the Lord brings discipline upon his sheep, It's for their protection. It's for their good. As a sheep of his pasture, we can become cast. And being cast as a result of being caught or stuck in our sin or as a result of the pain and sorrow we inevitably face in this world. But i got to tell you, you, whatever's going on, whether you're stuck in your own sin or you're suffering as a result of the brokenness in this world, or sin towards you from others. He sees you. In fact, he knows your pain. It says in Hebrews that he is one who sympathizes with our pain and suffering. Cry out to him when you're cast. And know that if you are cast and you can't even utter a word, he sees you and he will rescue you. Psalm 42, David wrote this, and I think he had the cast sheep picture in mind. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, 
For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You can, you can feel it building that he's cast down. He's desperate. And he reminds himself that he can put his hope in God. He will praise God again, who is his salvation and his rock. And you know when we can't get up, he restores us even when we're not trusting him. But what he never says is, I told you so. Get off the ground. Pick yourself up. He said, I love you. My best for you is that you follow, you, follow me. That's where the abundant life is found. Let me help you up. Let me help you follow me. We will follow imperfectly, but he is always perfectly leading and restoring. The last two weeks, two weeks ago, I brought you to Ezekiel 34. Last week, Chris brought us to the same passage, and today I'm going to bring us again to Ezekiel 34. And I want to encourage you that if you are cast, if you're stuck, um, meditate on this passage. Read it over and over again. Talk about it with your family. It's beautiful. It says, uh, chapter 34, verse 14 through 16, I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. And then he goes down to verses 23 and 24. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, Jesus, shall be a prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. And I want to encourage you that we want to be a church that... First of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ does not make anyone's life easier. I just want to say that right now because we can say you need Jesus because you've got a bad marriage. You need Jesus because you're homosexual. You need Jesus because of X, Y, and Z. You need Jesus because you're a sinner headed for hell. And then when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, it doesn't necessarily make your life better. The, the abundant life doesn't mean that our bank is full of money, that we've got our dream job, our trophy wife, our behaved kids. A house with, with 2.5 garages and member of the country club, membership at country club. That's okay. I've been there. I've had that. Some of that stuff I still want. But that's not the definition of the abundant life. The abundant life is found in following Jesus Christ and letting him restore you in your pain and brokenness. Letting Him restore you in the midst of your sin. And we want to be a church that, that ministers to one another that way. I'm going to flip over to Galatians 6 and then we're going to close off. We taught through Galatians a couple of years ago and I remember teaching through this passage and it wrecked me. It wrecked me because um, in my flesh I just want people including myself, including my wife, including my kids, including my dog, to just um, do what they're told to do by the Lord and just, 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 just do it and stop whining. Just do it, like Nike. And I put a marker swoosh on their forehead. Here's 
what Paul says. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Here's what this is saying. It's not saying that, hey, I caught you sinning. It's that, hey, brother, sister, I'm so sorry you're caught there. You know this doesn't honor and glorify the Lord. Can I help you get out of that net? Can I help you get unstuck? Can I push you over with the word of God and remind you that you have a good shepherd that wants to lead you to still waters and make you lie down in green pastures? That we're to, we're to help one another. If anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth step of church discipline. They want to help people get right with the Lord. We want to help people be restored. And he says, keep watch on yourself lest, lest you too be tempted. I don't know how you got cast there. I would never be in that position. Dirty sheep. No, it's going, you know what? Man, I could be in the same place you are. I'm not above whatever it is that you're struggling with. I'm not above whatever sin that you're mired in. Let's help one another be restored. May we be pleased to have our good shepherd restore our soul so that we might be used by him in the restoration of the souls of others. Following him is the pathway to the abundant life. He wants to restore your soul. Following the good shepherd lies in the will, lies in the will, your will your desire to do His will. Let's pray. Father, we bless You. God, we thank You that You came to seek and save the lost. We thank You, Lord, that when we were um, running in the opposite direction, when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, You, by Your mercy, You made us alive in Christ Jesus. God, I thank You that, um, Father, that You laid upon Jesus the sins of the world. And God, I thank you that we have a um, new name. I thank you, God, that we are um, your beloved sons and daughters. We are the sheep of your, of your eternal pasture. There's nothing we did to um, make our way into the sheepfold or into the sheep pen. And there's nothing that we can do to be booted out. In fact, just the opposite. When we wander off, when we're prone to wander, when we're prone to stray, you actually leave the 99 to come after us. And I thank you that when we're cast and the uh, predators are circling, the the vultures are circling, um, Satan and sin is knocking at our door, that you're right there to pick us up. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are um, empowering us that you are giving us the ability and the power to say yes to the good and perfect and acceptable word of God. And God, I pray that we would be a church as we imperfectly follow you together and individually. God, who are ones that don't look down our noses at each other, but that we operate with compassion and gentleness, helping one another get upright and follow after the good shepherd who leads us for our good and for his namesake. And we pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.